0: Welcome to the Rock Quiz, or as it is known around here, the little-known and even-less-cared-for-fact Rock Quiz and Stomp. I'm your friendly neighborhood quiz master, Mike McCarthy. The little-known and even-less-cared-for-fact Rock Quiz is all about the history of rock and roll. We'll continue to examine the roots, the stars, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the good, the bad, and the ugly, from the animals to ZZ Top. The format's simple. We will continue our rock version of a National Geographic trip, this time starting in Indiana and heading south to Muscle Shoals, to Memphis, and then further on down the Mississippi. Eventually, we're going to wind up in England and Ireland before this whole thing concludes. So now, let's begin podcast number three. Time now for a little known and even less cared for fact rock quiz question. What is the Kingsman's version of Louie Louie famous for, other than being a number one hit twice? A. It was banned by the governor of Indiana, B. It was a Bach fugue, C. Singer Lynn Eastman sang the lyrics in Klingonese, D. It was an ode to Bigfoot. Let me repeat that. What was Louis Louis famous for other than being a number one hit twice? A. It was banned by the governor of Indiana. B. It was a Bach fugue. C. Singer Lynn Eastman sang the lyrics in Klingonese. D. It was an ode to Bigfoot. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it was banned by the governor of Indiana. The Kingsman's version of Louie Louie became the first underground hit to go mainstream. Practically no one could distinguish the actual lyrics and it was rumored that the singer had intentionally slurred his diction to cover up the profanity and the suggestions of sexual goings-on. High schoolers passed notes professing to have the real lyrics of Louie Louie. The song was banned on many radio stations, including statewide in Indiana, where it was personally prohibited by Governor Matthew Welch. What a moron. I, by the way, was living in in Indiana at that time and marveled at what dumb this guy was. Anyway, the superintendent of schools in Benton Harbor, Michigan refused to let marching bands play the song in parades. The FBI, under the direction of J. Edgar Hoover, conducted a 31-month investigation into the matter and concluded that they were unable to interpret any of the wording of the record. Way to go, Lynn Eastman. And now for something completely different.
1: You'll remember the last time we left John and Marcia. They were in Horse Colorado, where they were counterfeiting. Let's see.
0: There. No, it won't fit in this corner either. All right, John, let's see if the counter fits uh, over there. Oh,
1: Marsha. John. Be with us again next time when Marsha goes to an appliance store and buys a mountain range.
0: Full disclosure time, Indiana University in Bloomington is my alma mater. Time for a little-known and even less cared-for-fact rock quiz question. Which of these is IU not famous for? A. Original Thomas Hart Benton murals on the lecture hall walls. B. The Kinsey Sex Institute. C. Lousy football. D. The Red Cedar Ducks. Let me repeat that. Which of these is IU not famous for? A. Original Thomas Hart Benton murals on the lecture hall walls. B, the Kinsey Sex Institute, C, lousy football, and D, the Red Cedar Ducks. The Red Cedar Ducks are actually the ducks that are found in the Red Cedar River on the campus of my wife's alma mater, Michigan State University. But I digress. My media career started there at the campus radio station where I did my first interviews. Kenny Rogers was the first, and he was with the first edition at the time, and he was great. He really he felt bad for a, a young, clueless interviewer that I was. Pat Paulson, who was in running for president, and who was kind and funny and who I would wind up interview again numerous times in my career. And John Hartford, who was a dick. With that in mind, it's time for a little known and even less cared for fact rock quiz question. What TV show was Pat Paulson most well known for? A, Bonanza, B, Password, C, The Smothers Brothers, D, My Mother the Car. Let me repeat that. What TV show was Pat Paulson most well-known for? A. Bonanza B. Password C. The Smothers Brothers D. My Mother the Car It is The Smothers Brothers, one of the great comedies of the 60s. Of course, it got kicked off because the censors and Tommy Smothers were not willing to come to any kind of accommodation, and CBS canceled them. One of the cool things about going to IU was that I got to see a lot of great acts like The Birds, Jefferson Airplane, The Supremes, The Temptations, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Phil Oaks, Pete Seeger, Arlo Guthrie, and a very young John Mellencamp. This is your announcer saying, this is your announcer saying, the staff of this fine podcast have researched and vetted... The little known and even less cared for facts using reference material provided by the Rolling Stone, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Motown Museum, numerous artist and label websites, Wikipedia, and personal remembrances by friends and relations. But since it has been known that the World Wide Web is perhaps sometimes incorrect in its facts, if you find a fact you feel is incorrect, please email us at quiz at gmail.com. Remember, the facts are facts, the quizzes are made up, and the points don't matter. John Mellencamp, previously known as Johnny Cougar, John Cougar, and John Cougar Mellencamp. I first saw him in the mid-60s, In Bloomington, Indiana, where I was going to school at IU, I was underage in a bar on the west side. And he was playing guitar at that same bar on the west side of Bloomington. And he is a couple of years younger than I am. So, hmm, I wonder how that happened. Anyway, Mellencamp, who hated the whole concept of Johnny Cougar, Had a number of top ten hits, including Hurt So Good, Jack and Diane, Crumbling Down, Pink Houses, Lonely Old Night, Small Town, Rockin' the USA, R.O.C.K. in the USA, Paper on Fire, and one of my all-time faves, Cherry Bomb. He's had over 22 top 40 hits in the U.S. Time now for a little-known and even-less-cared-for fact rock quiz question. In Jack and Diane, what article of clothing does Jack want removed? A. Her Fredericks of Bedford panties B. Her Gucci bag C. Her Bobby Brooks slacks D. Her Jimmy Manolos Let me repeat that. In Jack and Diane, what article of clothing does Jack want Diane to remove? a her frederick's bedford panties b her gucci bag c her bobby brooks slacks d her jimmy manolos and jack and diane he suggests that she pull down her bobby brooks slacks so he can <clears throat> do what he please camp has been nominated for 13 grammys winning only one that sucks and has sold over 30 million albums in the U.S. and over 60 million worldwide. Mellencamp is also one of the founding members of Farm Aid, along with uh, Willie Nelson. Mellencamp was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2008, followed by induction in the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2018. He remains one of my all-time favorite rock and roll artists. Way to go, Mr. Mellencamp. Okay, one more before we leave Indiana. Time now for a little-known and even less cared-for-fact rock quiz question. The IU Little 500 is a huge party where a bike race breaks out. It was featured prominently in a now-classic movie starring a young Dennis Quaid. Was it a... Breaking Away, B. Breaking Bad, C. Breaking Wind, D. Animal House. Let me repeat that. The Little 500 was featured prominently in a now classic film starring a young Dennis Quaid. Was it A. Breaking Away, B. Breaking Bad, C. Breaking Wind, or D. Animal House. Breaking Away in 1979 was nominated for Best Picture among five Oscar nominations.
1: And now this. You'll remember the last time we left John and Marsha. They were in Barbie and Kentucky, where they were having a heated debate. Let's... Listen... Marcia,
0: you can't do it. Now, would you admit failure? All right, John. I'm sorry I didn't hear the doorbell. Well, hi, failure. Come on in. How's everything?
1: Marcia! John. Be with us again next time when Marcia gets a job at a haberdashery and knits some handicaps.
0: Among the great acts I had the opportunity to see at IU, one of my favorites was Simon and Garfunkel. Here's a little known and even less cared for fact, Rock Quiz Question. Before they became Simon and Garfunkel, what did they call themselves? Was it A. Mutt and Jeff, B. Tom and Jerry, C. Mickey and Goofy, D. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Let me repeat that. Before they became Simon and Garfunkel, what did they call themselves? Was it A. Mutt and Jeff, B. Tom and Jerry, C. Mickey and Goofy, or D. Rocky and Bullwinkle? Simon and Garfunkel met in elementary school in Queens in 1953. They began writing songs and harmonizing. As teenagers, under the name of Tom and Jerry, they had minor success with Hey, Schoolgirl" Girl in 1957, which was kind of imitating the Everly Brothers. Of course, then they went on to be huge as Simon and Garfunkel with Mrs. Robinson The sounds of silence, bridge over troubled waters, on and on. They were a wonderful act to watch. A quick stop in Cincinnati before we leave the Midwest to visit radio station WKRP. In the famous Turkey Drop episode, who said, As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Was it A. Scarlett O'Hara, B. Scarlett Johansson, C, Les Nessman, D, The Big Guy. Let me repeat that. In the famous Turkey Drop episode, who said, As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly? A, Scarlett O'Hara, B, Scarlett Johansson, C, Les Nessman, D, The Big Guy. For those of you who never saw it or saw it and just thought it was kind of a funny sitcom, to those of us who were in the business at the time, it was a documentary on radio. And the big guy is the guy that said, as God is my witness, after the infamous turkey drop where they dropped a bunch of turkeys on Cincinnati thinking they'd all fly away and unfortunately dropped like rocks. It was a hysterical episode. WKRP was created by Hugh Wilson, and it was based on his experience as a sales rep at a Top 40 station in Atlanta. The series won a Humanitarian Award and received 10 Emmy nominations as well, including three for Outstanding Comedy Series. We head south, we're going to skip right over to Nashville, y'all, and we're going to head right to the Muscle Shoals Studios in Alabama. And speaking of Alabama, I had a chance to do mornings for a couple of years at 95 Rock in Birmingham. Lots and lots of fun and a very cool town at the time. Not so much before and maybe not so much later, but during that time it was very cool. So, why do they call Alabama the Crimson Tide? A. Red Mud. B the crud that washes up on redneck Riviera beaches. C, they couldn't spell War Eagle. D, a special detergent that really gets white sheets white. Let's try that again. Why do they call Alabama the Crimson Tide? A, red mud. B, the crud that washes up on redneck Riviera beaches. C, they couldn't spell War Eagle. And D, a special detergent that really gets white sheets white. According to legend, way back when, Birmingham's iron-rich soil turned into a sea of red mud, which stained Alabama's white jerseys red. The team fought Auburn to a 6-6 tie, and the sports editor is supposed to have said that the team played like a Crimson Tide. I had a chance to go to the Iron Bowl a couple of times when I was in Birmingham. actually got to see Bo Jackson play. That was the year that the tornado almost blew away the Iron Bowl and half of Birmingham. On now to another little-known and even less cared for fact rock quiz question. And speaking of Alabama... In Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama, who was the governor that they referenced? Was it A, George McGovern, B, George Wallace, C, George Bush, D, George of the Jungle? Let me repeat that. In Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama, Who was the governor that they referenced? Was it A, George McGovern, B, George Wallace, C, George Bush, D, George of the Jungle? George Curley Wallace, Jr., was the 45th governor of Alabama for four terms. The guy was... Basically a staunch segregationist, he was a racist. They must have liked him, because again, four terms in office. On <music> uh, now to another little-known and even less-cared-for-fact rock quiz question. And speaking of Skinnerd, where did they get the name? A. Byron Jacksonville, Florida. B, a reference to a character named Leonard Skinner in Alan Sherman's Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, and a mocking tribute to their, their uh, phys ed teacher, Leonard Skinner. C, was it the name of the clown who yelled, Freebird! at a James Taylor concert. D, a character on the Dick Van Dyke Show. Let me repeat that. Where did they get their name, Leonard Skinner? Was it A, Bar in Jacksonville, Florida, B, a reference to Hello Mudda and their P.E. teacher, C, the name of the clown who yelled Freebird at a James Taylor concert that actually happened, and D, a character on the Dick Van Dyke Show. Leonard Skinner was in part a reference to the character named Leonard Skinner in Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. Also, it was a shot at their former P.E. teacher, Leonard Skinner, at the high school they all went to in Jacksonville. Skinner was notorious for being a real dick about long hair for guys, and because of that, Rosington, Gary Rosington, dropped out of school because he didn't want to get hassled about his hair. Rosington, along with Ronnie Van Zant and Alan Collins, were the main guys in Skynyrd until, of course, Ronnie Van Zant died in the plane crash. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced that Skynyrd would be inducted in 2005 along with, get this, Black Sabbath, Blondie, Miles Davis, and the Sex Pistols. Now, there's a group for you. Here's our next little known and even less cared for a fact quiz question. What was so unusual about the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio musicians? They were called the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section, or the Swampers. A. They were Juilliard trained. B. They were all from Montana. C. They were all white. D. They were Canadian. Let me repeat that. What was so unusual about the Swampers, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section? A. They were Juilliard trained. B. They were all from Montana. C. They were all white. D. They were Canadian. A. Paul Simon, after hearing I'll Take You There with the Staple Singers, he wanted to record at Muscle Shoals. He was introduced to the rhythm section, expecting black musicians. The original rhythm section consisted only of white musicians. And assuming that he was being introduced to the office staff, Simon politely asked to meet the band. Once things were sorted out, Simon recorded a number of tracks with the band, including Kodachrome and Loves Me Like a Rock. Muscle Shoals had two studios. Fame Studios, where... Percy Sledge, Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, and others recorded. And Muscle Shoals Sound Studio, founded by the musicians known as The Swampers that we already discussed, they worked with Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Rod Stewart, The Rolling Stones, the Allman Brothers, and others. Muscle Shoals encouraged the cross-pollination of musical styles. Black artists used white country music styles in their work and white artists from the Shoals frequently borrowed from the blues gospel, creating a very distinct sound. Rolling Stone editor David Fricky wrote that if one wanted to play a single recording that would epitomize and encapsulate the famous Muscle Shoals sound, that record would be I'll Take You There by the staplesingers. Singers. Some of the songs that came out of Muscle Shoals includes Boz Skaggs' album, Boz Skaggs featuring Dwayne Allman, Take a Letter of Maria by R.B. Greaves, Brown Sugar and Wild Horses from the Stones, the aforementioned I'll Take You There, Kodachrome, Loves Me Like a Rock, Breakaway, that album by Art Garfunkel, Katmandu by Seeger, Night Moves by Bob Seeger, Main Street by Bob Seeger, Skinner's Street Survivors, Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger, Skinner's first complete Muscle Shoals album, Gotta Serve Somebody by Dylan, Pleasure and Pain by Dr. Hook, Sharing the Night Together by Dr. Hook, Volat by Julian Lennon, and Brothers by the Black Keys. Quite an amazing lineup.
1: You'll remember the last time we left John and Marcia; they were in You Make Me, Illinois. Getting ready to go out for the evening. Oh, Let's listen. Marsha, hurry up, we're late.
0: And on your way out, hit the lights. All right, John.
1: Marcia! John! Ah. Be with us again next time when John opens an inn and lodges a complaint. Remember, the facts are facts, the quizzes are
0: made up. And the points don't matter. Here's our next little known and even less cared for a fact quiz question. The Peabody Hotel in Memphis features a daily parade. Who's in the parade? A. 100 Elvis impersonators B. A Dixieland band C. Ducks D. Geese <laughs> Let me repeat that. The Peabody Hotel, or Peabody Hotel, depending on what part of the state you're from in Memphis, features a daily parade. Who's in the parade? A, 100 Elvis impersonators. B, a Dixieland band. C, ducks. D, geese. The Peabody Marching Ducks have been a tradition at the historic and luxurious Peabody Hotel in Memphis since the 1930s. They still hang around the Peabody Fountain and can be viewed from 11 to 5, Monday through Friday. What is the Memphis sound? It's really hard to kind of put a finger on it, because you've got folks as diverse as Aretha Franklin, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, Elvis, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, Booker T and the MGs, Otis Redding, Isaac Hayes, Al Green, Percy Sledge, Solomon, Burke, Sam and Dave, and B.B. King. They all got their start in Memphis in the 50s and 60s. Now, two of the best locations to visit Memphis music history are Sun Studio and Stax Records. Sun Studio, located at 706 Union Avenue, was started by one of the fathers of rock and roll Sam Phillips in 1950. He was the producer of acts and artists like B.B. King, Ike Turner, Jerry Lee Lewis, and of course, Elvis Presley. The studio's claim to fame is that it is exactly where the first rock and roll record was produced, Rocket 88 in April of 1951. Sun Studios still stands and is open for tours. Elvis, Johnny Cash, all those folks made their first recordings there and they were quote-unquote discovered by Phillips. Many great blues artists also recorded there, like W.C. Handy, the father of the blues. Stax Records. Stax Records launched the careers and recorded hits for Otis Redding, the Staple Singers, Luther Ingram, Johnny Taylor, Albert King, Eddie Floyd, Wilson Pickett, and Booker T and EMGs, along with Sam and Dave and Isaac Hayes. Approximately 800 singles, 300 LPs, including 166 top 100 songs and 265 top 100 hits in the R&B charts nine of them Grammy Award winners. The Stacks Rhythm section, comprised of Booker T. Jones, Steve Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn, and Al Jackson, provided the instrumental backing for Rufus and Carla Thomas, Sam and Dave, and others. Booker T. and EMGs also had a huge hit with Green Onions, and later on, Jones worked with William Bell and co-wrote blues classics like Born Under a Bad Sign. Cropper supervised the recordings of Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, and Eddie Floyd, and they were stars in the Blues Brothers movie, still one of my all-time favorites. Memphis is also the home of Elvis Presley. Oh, well, thank you very much. Having sold over 500 million records worldwide, he's recognized as the best-selling solo music artist of all time, even bigger than Taylor Swift. He's won a ton of Grammys, lifetime achievement awards, induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I've got a little-known and even less cared for fact quiz question for you concerning the King. Where is The Jungle Room? A. In a Memphis Zoo. B. A strip club on Beale Street. C. The basement of Graceland. D. The basement at Macy's. Let me repeat that. Where is the Jungle Room? A. In the Memphis Zoo. B. A strip club on Beale Street. C. The basement of Graceland. D. The basement of Macy's. Graceland was open to the public in 1982 and attracted over half a million visitors annually, it became the second most visited home in the United States after the White House, and was declared a National Historic Monument in 2006. In the mid-60s, Presley enlarged the house to create a den known as the Jungle Room, which features, are you ready for this, an indoor waterfall In 1976, The Jungle Room was converted into a recording studio and he recorded his final two albums there. Before we go, a programming reminder. As much as I would love to play the tunes referenced here, due to royalty concerns, i.e. I can't afford the fees, I suggest you check them out on YouTube or Google. But if enough of you indicate that you'd be willing to subscribe or contribute to this fine podcast, just email me at mikesrockquiz at gmail.com. That's it for the little-known and even-less-cared-for fact Rock Quiz and Stomp Podcast number three don't fail to miss our next exciting adventure as we continue south to New Orleans, then on to Texas and Oklahoma. I'm Quizmaster Mike reminding you that the facts are facts, the quizzes are made up, and the points don't matter. Bye-bye.